in the days ahead. I'm definitely looking forward to kind of a little different teaching next week, but this is something that has come to me from my uh, personal experiences recently and my own personal meditations, and I think there's a certainly a biblical uh, principle behind it. And um, so I want to I just pray real quickly because we're going to read a few passages of scriptures along the way. And uh, so we'll just, you know, I've already asked you to be to stand and such. It's typically our pattern and tradition as church family stand in honor of reading of word of God. However, today I'm going to just let you be seated. You're standing in your heart, right? And because uh, we are, I want to, I want to prelude this first of all. So let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful to have a privileged opportunity to share your word. It's something that I do not um, take lightly. It's a uh, blessed responsibility that you've given me. I remember the words of Paul the Apostle. He said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And Father, I'm bound by conviction, Father, to share the word of God. And I pray that there is a genuine anointing that's present so that the people will be blessed, Father, by the exhortation of your word. We know that they will be by the reading of scripture. But God, but that the exhortation, the teaching component behind it, the preaching element that's attached to it, whatever human element, Father, is woven in, I pray that, God, you're able to add your favor, add your blessing. God, I pray, do a work in our hearts today in a way that's pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Now, I want to share with you, first of all, a thought that came in my mind. I mentioned it briefly last week uh, at the end of my message, even though it was not necessarily a part of the sermon. And... I want to share with you just kind of how that it came about because we're going to actually read the scripture a little later in the passage that, uh, you know, when you hide the word of God in your heart and you read it consistently, then when you're walking through seasons of life, good and bad, it doesn't have, you don't have to just be in a, in a trauma for God to quicken the word in your heart. The word comes just to bless you. Just to, you know, you start, you, you, you know, you talk about a worldview. I like a word view. I like to, to have my life, everything that I do, to have a stimulus in the Word of God. Now, I've been very transparent in front of you, and some of you are probably tired of hearing about it, it that, you know, that Sherry and I sold our farm this, this past summer, and we started building a house. And if you've ever built a house, you, need, you have to have a little bit of emotional preparation. Now, it's one of the big reasons for divorce in a marriage. Now, that's not people physically building a, a house. That's people contracting. It really is. It's like the second or third, you know, reasons for divorce. They, husbands and wife can't get together on it. Well, me and Sherry get together on it. Literally, we are working together. And, and when, we were, when I started this house, I didn't realize that my design was going to take me so high off the ground because I designed it. So I have, this has been a, a weakness in my character for many years. I often underestimate things. And I underestimated the challenge that's associated with it. And so, especially as it's gotten 25 foot off the ground on one side and 30 foot off the back of the other side. And when you're up there working precariously and it's open out behind it. So, so it, that gives the false appearance. You know what I'm saying? If it'd be different if there were structure right there. And that would give you a little bit of something to look at. So when it came time to be on the gable end right there, it's pretty nerve-wracking. And you're up there, and before we got right to the gable end, I stopped two foot off, and I said, I'm not going to the edge 
until I get a rope. So Keith England loaned me a, a harness set, so now I'm all harnessed up, and I'm up there. And so I was up there working on this, and it's still, I tell you, still, I don't care if you're harnessed on or not. It's still a little fearful. And so you're, you know, because you're, you're out trying to hammer something like this, and it's all blue sky, space, and grass, and green, and you're just, and I was doing that, and I was, and I thought to myself, of one of the passages of Scripture, I thought, you know, life can change suddenly, just like that. And everything that you work so hard for can be passed on to somebody else that you don't even know whether they're going to value the thing that you just labored so intensely to produce. And so I, I, I thought that. Now, there's a, va there's a verse. I'm going to show you in a few moments in the Word of God that very principle. And so the principle of that word quickened in my heart while I was suspended out over the ledge. So that was a week ago. But, but so my thought was is how fragile life can be. Well, this past Monday and Tuesday, I almost fell. Not from that height, but I, I almost fell from 15 foot up. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I, was, I haven't even got to share it with Jojo. I was holding, I was on the ladder and I was working on what's called the fascia board. It was the very first fascia board. So me and Sherry are a team. We are a team. And so it's a one-and-a-half-story house, so that means I have a story up there that it's, uh, there's a living space in the attic. So Sherry, she's kind of scared of heights. So she needs firm footing foundation. We took a tram in Colorado years ago when the kids were small. Sherry went to the floor on the tram. She could not. She did. I mean, she rode the whole way. Like, you know, claw, her claw marks are probably still on that steel floor. And so, so she's pushing herself. Well, by working together, I had to. It was a 12-foot board. So, I, and it was 14 or 15 foot to my head is where I'm at. That's where the rafter's at. So, I handed the board up to her, and I walked it up over on my ladder 12 foot away, and I hammered it in. So then I climb back down the ladder. Everybody that's been a carpenter knows sometimes you have to do things like that. Then I climb back down, and then I climb over here, and I nailed it in a little bit, and then I realized I didn't nail it in the right place. So I turned the hammer, and I was popping it out. And right after about the second hit, I had this thought come to me. I'm just being transparent and honest. Now, it's, you know, the Lord talks to you quickly in moments like that. Now, you know when you hit here, you can vibrate the nail out on the other end. And I... I said, ah, that'll be okay even if it does. And the second time I, I went like that, boom, that, that board, that nail popped on that end, and that 12-foot board swung down. I was on a lighter ladder because I was going to have to move it often, and it struck my ladder. And when it did, then the other board popped off right in my face, and it caused me to lose my handle, and I reached for the rafter, and I missed the rafter. And so I'm going down. Well, I'm pretty light on my feet. Trisha, whenever we play basketball, you will know that. I know I'm 49, but I'm getting better in shape because I'm on the house. Well, I used to be lighter in my feet. That board, so, so, I, so I got about two seconds to make a decision. And I'm 15 foot up, and it's in a really rugged area. And I don't want the ladder to determine where I'm going to land. So I'm going to vacate the ladder at the appropriate place. That was what, as it's starting to, as it's going down. That board fell on my feet and pinned me on the ladder as I'm going down. And, you know, all this is happening in about 1.6 seconds like that. 
and I'm stuck. And so I happened to be right by the doorway of the house. And in my mind, what I was going to do was when, we, when I went past the doorway, I was just going to roll. And I was just going to come and hopefully land on my shoulder and back and only break my few ribs instead of, and it's, but really, because 15 foot up, it was really rock. There was, there was block and brick and wood below me it was, it, uh, to the side that I was going to. And then miraculously, I'm just being honest with you, for no reason whatsoever other than this is next week's sermon, I pray every time I'm out there, God, send an angel. For, for whatever reason, that ladder stopped just like that. That's not a lie. It stopped like that. Now, I shimmied down off that ladder very quickly. These 49-year-old legs move very quickly. But once again, there was a little bit of, I get a little nervous thinking about it. You know how you get a little weak in the knees? Like, you know, the, uh, the Bible tells us that the king that saw the handwriting on the wall, the Bible says he got his knees got a little bit loose. My knees were a little bit loose. Sherry was Shatakai and Mosian up there. <laughs> On the top, it all happened in front of her eyes. And I just, because I'd been right there in front of her, and then I disappeared right in front of her. And, and, and so we gave God glory. We praise the Lord that in his sovereign grace, because did you know 800 carpenters die annually uh, working, and almost all of them are roof-related? And even during when Hurricane Irma, and they were bracing for Hurricane Irma in Florida, one of the first tra- deaths that took place was someone boarding their house up 15 foot off the ground on a ladder, and a gust of wind or whatever blew him off the ladder. He fell, he hit his head, and he died. So it was a very real moment for me, and once again, it reaffirmed the thought that I'd already had in my mind about how quickly life can change, how, quick, how fragile life is how delicate it is, right? And I think if we're not careful in the, the, the world we live in today, that's so fast-paced, we'll lose sight of how frail and fragile life is. I want to read to you and ask you to read with me from the book of James today, first of all. And there's a few passages. We're going to end up in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to contemplate a few things. So I said all that to just tell you that I often like a, um, a visually-aided sermon, and that one was a little too much for me in aiding this principle because the principle today is a fragile life, but a fruitful life. It's a fragile life, but it can still be a fruitful life. And James said this, look at this, and let's just see if this speaks to your heart and identifies. We're going to read just a couple different passages. James chapter 4, he said, Go to now you that say today or tomorrow We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. King James English, he's saying, you know, you're making plans for your life. Everybody should make plans for your life, right? Don't live life aimlessly. Make plans for your life. But include the wisdom of God in your planning. So he said, a man says he's going to move into a city. He's going to buy and sell. He's going to go to college. He's going to join the military. Uh, She's going to have a family. Whatever it is, whatever applies to you, you can kind of connect it there. He said, but you don't really know what will be on the morrow. I mean, the old preachers used to say, no man's promised tomorrow. You know why they used to say that? Because it's true, right? And that's, I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but every now and then you're confronted by your own mortality. We're confronted by that even if you live in uh, uh, to what we call an aged, old, old age life here, you're in your 90s or 100 or whatever it is, I'm telling you, that's just a little drop in the bucket of eternity. And so here it says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? So I didn't think this on my own. The author, James here, 
says, he wants me to think this. He wants me to contemplate so that when I'm living my life, I live my life with the awareness that life is very fragile. For what is your life? It is a vapor. It appears for a little time. And then what? It can vanish away. For we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Years ago when I was pastoring, as you turn to Psalm 103, we're going to just reinforce this with another passage of Scripture. And then we're going to go in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at Solomon's uh, exhortation on the same principle for just a moment. And this is a little bit outside of my normal wheelhouse of preaching, but I felt impressed to share this. I don't understand the sovereign will of God. I don't understand oftentimes. I don't know why one thing happens to someone and why it doesn't happen to someone else. Years ago, I was pastoring up in Shirley at Maranatha Assembly of God in the Baptist Church, uh, First Baptist Church in Fairfield Bay. The pastor, his name was Ronnie. I can't remember his last name. But he was working on his home, similar as I was working on mine, and he fell from his home 15, 18 foot up while he was on a ladder working on the side of it, and he perished. He died. I don't know why that pastor died, and this one stands here with but a testimony. I don't know, but I don't know. That's the sovereignty of God. But the one thing I know is, is that life is very frail and fragile. And, and, and it matters not who you are, where you are. It can change, and it can change quickly, so, so quickly. And so Psalm 103, I'd like for us to, to read that, if you would. We're in Psalm 103. We're going to read just four verses of Scripture because the psalmist here picks up on this very same thing as well. He says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. God takes pity upon us or has mercy. Merciful compassion is what pity is. God has merciful compassion on those that fear him. Why? Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, look at this. His days are as grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. But then the wind will pass over it and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. So there are some things just real quickly that to highlight about, about life for just a moment. Three certainties that you and I probably already know. We just don't stop and pause and think enough about them. And I want you to do that with me today. As a pastor, I occasionally do. Because I walk with people um, along the route of when they're losing a loved one. And right now, Sister um, Jewel Qualls could be in the final weeks and days of, of, of her life. And I'm, you know, being with her family some here and there and seeing them go through that season. And us pastors, we go with people multiple times through the year uh, when they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But sometimes you as a parishioner, you may not. And you may not contemplate the principles that I'm going to share with you just real quickly. I've already said this, but I want to go ahead and reiterate. Number one, life is fragile. It's very delicate. I mean, you may be big and strong. But, I mean, just the slightest accident can change everything, right? The slightest accident. So we have to be very careful. Number two, life is fleeting. It is slipping away from us. And what's the number of man? The Bible says God promised us 70 years. He said 80 if by grace you get it. So what's the number of life is slowly slipping away from every one of us? We have to be aware that there is an end in sight, and the end is eternity. We have to be prepared to face eternity. And number three, the re here's the reality. You do not know your time here. You do not know your time here. Ecclesiastes comes to us under the pen of Solomon, the beloved son of King David, often cited as the wisest of all men. 
But I would like to clarify for you, he was not the wisest of all men. He was up until that time. But remember what Jesus said. He said, the queen of Sheba came from far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but a greater than Solomon is here. And so Solomon was wise, but he certainly was not as wise as Jesus. But in his wisdom, he had principles that if we'll look closely at, they speak to us and they spoke to my heart. It was actually not James or the psalmist pen that I was contemplating when I got to be very careful when I was up there hanging out over that 30 foot or 25 foot drop. It wasn't James's exhortation or it wasn't uh, uh, the psalmist, but it was Ecclesiastes. It was, so it was Solomon's words. And it's not this passage, it's a passage we're going to read in just a moment. But in the 12th verse of the 9th chapter, here's what Solomon said. And this is to reiterate that third principle very quickly, or a certainty about life. You do not know your time here. You do not know your time here. For man knoweth not his time. Solomon said, as the fishes are taken in a net and the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men caught or ensnared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Nobody's promised tomorrow. We need to live with eternity in mind. We have to live. We need to thank God for our life that we live in the temporal. But that, all of our affection can't be caught in this natural world. And so I want to share with you just real quickly, if we were to take time to read even in other places, the second verse of the ninth chapter, you know what happens to us all? It's death. Paul, or excuse me, Solomon writes that. He said, all things come alike to the righteous, to the wicked, to the good, to the clean, to the unclean. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you've been in church all your life or you've never been to church, whether or not that you're an Islamic uh, jihadist or whether or not you're a very pious Jew or whether or not you are a sanctified, born-again Christian, the reality is, is death comes comes to all death comes to all and at one point in time in your life you're going to have to contemplate the reality of eternity and so death happens to all and because of that overwhelming principle of truth that simplicity of the statement death comes to all sometimes that causes us to fall into a perplexity about life itself when you think about it solomon did have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Don't say yay or nay, but just contemplate. Have you ever read it? And in reading it, let me say this. Solomon reveals to us, he reveals that he is, he's perplexed. He's achieved a lot in life. He's at the highest point that he could ever be in that era. He is a king over a vast kingdom. The, so the kingdom of Israel was never greater than it was during Solomon's tenure. It was never during David's tenure, but during Solomon's tenure. And Solomon had amassed huge amounts of wealth. Solomon also gratified his own carnal sexual appetite. Solomon had uh, like 300 wives and 700 concubines. Now, if you signed up to go on the Young at Heart trip, you'll notice that I signed up Lee and his concubine member, Sherry Brown. Now, some of you may have taken offense that I only have one member of the concubine, Sherry. It was all just done for fun, so let it go, people, okay? <laughs> but Solomon had 700. He, he, he gratified every sensual desire that he had, but it still left him empty inside because he was perplexed by life because he knew whether he was wise or whether he was ignorant, he was still going to have to face death. Whether he was rich or whether he was poor, he was still going to have to face death. And so he gives us, 
his perplexities in the second chapter. And that's what I'm going to read with you today for a couple of moments. And then I'm going to share with you some principles that God laid on my heart to just share with you today. To deal with this perplexity of life in this context. It's a fragile life, but it can still be a fruitful life. Let me say it again. It's fragile. That means it can break, and it can break very easily. Your life can be lost. My, I'm going to be very frank and honest with you. Apart from the grace of God, this is the reality. I could have died on that ladder on the side of my house that I was building on Tuesday. Apart from the grace of God. And I'm aware of that. My own mortality is, is evident in that moment. And I want to challenge you. There are moments in your life you need to be aware that you are not Superman. Come on, if you cut, you will bleed. Right? And the reality is that you need the right uh, perspective of life. Solomon found himself so frustrated and perplexed because of death that he lost his joy for living. Have you ever been there where you thought about I mean, if I were to back myself into a hole for a moment, I could think about that long enough and say, here's Pastor Ronnie. He perished. He never got to see uh, his wife or his children or his grandchildren go, uh, go into their mature years. But here, I'm still alive. And that could get in, that could mess with your mind. But I have to back up and leave all that to the sovereignty of God. And so Solomon here, he writes. Let's read his writings. It's about 14 verses or 15 verses that we're going to kind of just read together collectively. It begins in the ninth verse of the second chapter. He's just honest. He said, so I was great. <laughs> he's very humble too. But I think he means in what he's amassed. I was great. I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And yet he also said this, and this is perhaps part of his dilemma. Oftentimes, wealth and riches has a tendency to uh, distort judgment. An arrogance and a conceitedness is built up. But Solomon actually says, I still retained my wisdom, that wisdom that was given to him supernaturally. Do you believe in supernatural wisdom? I do. If we had read James' epistle, James said, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If you're not asking for God's wisdom and how to live life every day of your life, you're missing one of the greatest gifts. See, I had asked God for wisdom before I started to work on the building. And his voice quickened inside my heart, watch out for the other end of that board. And I, I shut it down ignorantly. I mean, I'm just being as transparent as I am. When I had that hammer in my hand and the board in my hand, a voice quickened inside my mind and said, you know, when you tap this end, the vibrations can cause that one to kick out. And I dismissed it. And I said, it will be okay. But God had answered my prayer. I had asked for wisdom. And he gave me wisdom. And God will give you wisdom if you'll ask him for it. And so Solomon here says, I retain my wisdom. I've got to hurry. He said, and whatever my eyes desired, I kept it not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and that was my portion of all my labor. He said, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. He reached that place where he found perplexity and frustration with life. And he said, because there's no profit under the sun. I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? What, that, what can he do but what has already been done? <laughs> Look at his argument. He's arguing with himself. Then I saw the wis that wisdom excelleth folly, it does. 
as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. But myself perceive that there is one event. Here's that. What is that one event that he's troubled by? It's death. It's death. That one event that comes to us all. That one event. Then I said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, it will even happen to me. Why was I then more wise? He's struggling within his own consciousness. He said, I said in my heart, this too is vanity. There is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? He dies the same as a fool. He's simply making the, the principle that if you're wise or whether you're a fool, ultimately we're all going to taste death. So it actually created such a frustration in his heart. Look what he said in the 17th verse. And this is why I appreciate the inspiration of the Word of God, of the honesty of the Word of God. And the authors themselves, the authors, the, the, their own humanity shines forth in their writing. Therefore, I hated life. Solomon, we think about the wisest of all kings, arrived at a place in his life where he was so, fr fr so frustrated due to the perplexity of life and the certainty of death that he hated his life. Because he said, the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous to me. It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Now here, look at this. I only got a few more verses. He said, I hated all my labor. Why? Because I'm going to leave it to the man that should be after me. That's the verse of Scripture that quickened in my heart when I was hanging out over the ledge. And I was aware of my own mortality and how fragile life is. And I thought to myself, Lee, you are working so hard, but it's something that there's no guarantees to. And that when I'm gone, who else would take it? And would they even enjoy, uh, you know, the way that I hope to enjoy it? And it, sometimes it leaves you perplexed like Solomon. And so Solomon said here, he said, whether 19th verse, he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet shall he have rule over all my labor where I've labored and wherein I've showed myself wise under the sun. He said, this is vanity. He said, so I went about to cause my heart to despair. So now he said to try to despair all the labor which I looked took under the sun there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity yet to a man who hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion this is vanity and a great evil for what hath man of all his labor and the vexation of his heart whether he hath labored under the sun for all his days are sorrows and his travail grief even at night there's no rest and solomon kind of drops his head on his desk i can see him contemplating and he says this is vanity. Now, if you're a thinker, if you're not a thinker, but if you, if you have time to contemplate principles, sometimes you get frustrated and perplexed. And Solomon was at that place. His head is pillowed down. He looked back at his life, and then he looked ahead to the day that he would die, a day of uncertainty, a day that he couldn't put it on the calendar, a day that he couldn't actually plan for it because it would come suddenly. And it created a perplexity within him. And he lost a measure of his joy. But then he gave us a little bit of a conclusion. And this is what we're going to tap into. This is nothing better for a man then. That he should eat and drink. That he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. And this I saw that it was from the hand of God. So let me take this and kind of summarize this. And then bring you to some things that God wants me to share with you real quickly. About these two things. It's a fragile life and a fruitful life. Number one. I want you to be aware today because out of my own personal experience just recently, I've been brought into the, uh, a, a little bit more of a 
an awareness of our own mortality. And I just feel like sometimes that's a good thing. Can I say that? Sometimes I think it's a healthy thing. Now, as people age, we know that people don't live to be 200 and something years old in our generation. Is that right? When somebody starts getting close to their 70s, they start thinking about eternity. Come on. Now, when you're 25 years old, you're thinking about your career. When you're 25, you're thinking about who you're going to marry. You're going to think about where you're going to live at. You're going to think about you're going to be like James. You're going to go into a city, buy and sell, and get gain. But somewhere deep in the recesses of your heart and mind, you need to be thinking about eternity. You need to be thinking about that. that you, you, you know, you may think you're strong, but I'm telling you, life can take that strength from you just like that, or death can. could take that strength from you. And so you've got to have the right perspective. And I want to encourage you today, look at it, but don't become perplexed by it. Look closely at it, but don't become so frustrated that you become like Solomon. When Solomon revealed the inner workings of his heart, he was so frustrated that he said, I hated life. And so you don't want to be so frustrated by it that you leave a, live a fruitless life. You want to live a fruitful life. You want to delicately hold the balance. It's a, it's a very fleeting life. It's a very fragile life. But if I live in Christ and I have hope in God, I can still live a fruitful life. Does that make sense? So the Lord dropped down a few nuggets here in my heart that I want to leave with you real quickly today as a part of kind of the sum and the conclusion. Because that's what Solomon did. I love this. At the end of the book, the 12th chapter, Solomon calls himself the preacher. I, the preacher, he said. Many people call me the preacher. They, that's how they address me. Preacher Brown. And so I, the preacher, Solomon said. He said, this is my conclusion. Let's hear the sum of the whole matter, he said. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the sum of the whole matter. In essence, what he said, live your life for the glory of God. Be aware of the fragile, uh, the fragile existence that we have on this planet. But I'm telling you, put your faith and your trust in God. Now, the one thing that you've got, you've got an advantage that Solomon did not have. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have, you have the potential to have the eternal life of Christ abiding on the inside of you, something that Solomon in his dispensation could not receive. He was not uh, aware of heaven the way that we are. Does that make sense? And so death was very foreboding to him. But you and I, because of Christ, death can have no sting. Does that make sense? Let me just share with you the things God wants me to drop in your heart today about life. Number one, whatever family you have, you need to enjoy them. I don't care what your family looks like, whether you're a broken family that's now God's put together, whether, uh, uh, whether you've got a small family or a big family. I'm telling you, whoever you got an opportunity to love and enjoy, then love on them. Right? Hold to them dearly. Thank God for them every day. Pray for one another daily. Enjoy them. Let me say this. I put this. Make life pleasant. Let me just tell you this. I believe home ought to be an enjoyable place to live. I tell you, I grieve at people that life is so uh, tumultuous that when they come home, it's just turmoil. Let me tell you, that's a stench in the nostrils of God. God wants you to be able to come home and enjoy. If you're married, you need to enjoy one another. Come on, if you've got children, you need to enjoy those kids. Listen, you've got kids that are small, and I'm speaking to dads and moms, say, slobber all over those babies. So, I mean, I'm telling you, embarrass them, mark them. How do I know that? I'm telling you, I slobbered all over my kids until the day where they would no longer allow me to do so. But now hardly a day goes by that not all six children call me and Sherry because we slobbered all over them. 
Enjoy your family. Enjoy them. Make life pleasant for them. Come on, somebody. Number two, provide for your family. But don't kill yourself in the process. I want you to hear this today. I, being, I believe in being blessed. And I know it's a cool thing for your kids to get a pair of Nike shoes from Foot Locker. But I'm telling you what, they can still be just as contented if you put a pair of Dollar General shoes on them if you have to. And you need to be just as contented. I made a decision when my children were small. I valued my time with them more than the clothes that I could put on them or more than the shoes that they would wear. Does that make sense? And I believe in providing for our family. I believe that we, it's, you're worse than an infidel to a man if you don't provide for your family. And I say that very respectfully. If it's within your ability to do so. Correct? But I want to say this, but don't kill yourself. You know what your family wants? They want you. Men or women, moms or dads, the, the kids want you more than they, let me, let me re rephrase that. They need you more than they need that $100 pair of tennis shoes. Years ago, we were playing in a basketball tournament. Some of you may know. Uh, I was in a, uh, a league over in Searcy about years ago. I was 19 or 20 years old. I was in the Air Force, and I came back to play in the tournament. And uh, JoJo, you remember uh, Danny Starkey? Danny Star Some of y'all know the Starkey family. Danny Starkey was a really good basketball player, and he's in his mid-30s by now. And everybody, all of us other guys, you know, we had those super expensive shoes. Danny came out there in a pair of Chuck Taylor Converse canvas, <laughs> blue in color. We double teamed him, and he still dropped 46 on us that night. <laughs> it don't matter. I don't care. It's not the shoes, right? It's the individual in the shoes. And so, so provide for your family, but, 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 <laughs> but don't kill yourself in the process. Number three, these are just simple nuggets that God put in my heart as I measured out the frailty of life. Live life with a smile. Live, be happy. Have joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't go through this life sour and with discontentment. You know, overcome the fear. Solomon said, I hated life. You don't have to hate life. You can have joy. Let me share with you one of the greatest ways to have joy. Number four, this brings happiness. Do good to others. Let me tell you one thing that will make a difference in all your life and in others. Make kindness a priority. You know what? It's to just get up in the morning and say, you know, I want to be kind to people. I'm not going to have an edge. If you say something to me, I'm not going to snap at you. I'm going to ask you about your life. I want to ask you about your job. I want to ask you about your family and really mean it. Come on. Just the simple deed and acts of kindness can make life worth living. Number five, there's only eight. Why is there eight? Because that's all I believe the Lord quickened on my heart. Number five, eternal life with Christ is your greatest resource. Let me tell you, as you contemplate your own mortality... The greatest gift that will give you the ability to overcome that fear of death is the knowledge that Christ Jesus dwells inside you. And the gift of eternal life with Christ. Paul said it this way. Paul contemplated his own demise, his own death, on multiple occasions in the Scriptures. And Paul talked about it. He said, I'm an aged prophet, an apostle. The time of my departure is at hand. But he said this in one other passage in the book of Philippians. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two, King James English. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. 
He said, but to remain here is more needful for you. And he said, I ultimately believe that's what will happen in God's sovereign will. I'll stay to be with you. But notice his words. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. All Solomon could see was the darkness of the grave. That's all he could see because that was all that was available in that dispensation. But now, because of that atoning blood given on the cross of Calvary, I want you to know that when the veil was torn in the temple, it was then that God could breathe into men eternal life. And now, if you die, if you die today before the, the, the sun sets this evening, if you know Christ, you will immediately be with him in glory. I mean, your last breath on this planet will be your first breath in God's eternal kingdom. Glory to God. And that's a hope and the peace that Solomon did not have. And that's why when you write your own uh, diary, you ought not say, I hated life. You ought to say, God, I rejoice in eternal life that I have in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Number six, know the Lord. You want to have a fruitful life in the midst of a fragile world, you need to know the Lord for two ways, through the word of God and through prayer. I'll tell you, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not broke. You want to commune with God. You want to know more about God. You got to read his word. Let me say it again. I know you're ready for me to finish this message. But let me say it again. If you really want to know God, if I'm going to walk in this life, I want to walk in this life with the Lord. I want to know him. I want to know his promises, his provision. I want to know his presence. I want to be more, I want to mature. See, I will not forget the terrible mistake that I made two days or three days ago or four days, whatever it was, on Tuesday, that the Lord quickened in my heart a word that I rejected and it almost to my own demise. I want to grow in my relationship so that when he quickens a word in me, I'm like, man, that's the voice of God. I know that voice because I've been in his presence. I've been with him in prayer. I've been reading his word. That's not just my consciousness. That's the word of God coming to me. So number six, if you want to know the Lord, you've got to know him through the word and, the, and through prayer. Number seven, real quickly, you know what I believe that gives you a, a, helps you have a fruitful life in the midst of a fragile world? Don't forsake the house of God. We need the church. You need the church. You'll never be as fruitful if, you don't, if you're not actively involved in church. Well, I'm going to just say it anyhow. I know it's a little different message, but I'll preach it anyhow. I felt the Holy Spirit say, preach it on, preacher. And let me say it again. You'll never be as fruitful as you are when you are interwoven into the life stream of the local body of Christ. God designed us to have fellowship. <laughs> oh, let me say this. I got to share this. It's all about those experiences again. Sherry came to the baby shower yesterday. She said, you're going to go to the house and work. And I thought to myself, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, woe to him who is alone when he falleth. For he hath no man to help him up. I said, I don't think I'm going till you get back. Let me tell you, if you fall and you're not connected to the body, you don't have anybody to help you up. But if you're connected, come on, somebody, you can have a fruitful life. Lastly today, do all that you can do. Do your best, but trust God for all the rest. Do your part, but let me say this, my dependency is upon God. I was before my little accident.
almost accident. Actually, I just have a, I just have a personal testimony that I won't talk about past today. That was just my moment. When I climbed down from that ladder, I gave God praise. And then I moved on with my work because I trusted that the Lord was right there still with me. But it was the week before that I was aware of my own mortality when I was hanging out over that edge. Now, I had a, I had a lanyard on me, and I was, it gave me a little bit more confidence. But it didn't take away all the fear that how fragile life can be. Just like that. I remember years ago when I was pastoring at Shirley, I'd been given the opportunity to, we've told this before in the past, it still, it still stings when I think about it. I, it when, and I know their family does. I was given the opportunity to preach the baccalaureate service. And, um, and I preached, and I preached hell hot. That was really weird. Yet I had all those students there, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to try to just give them some inspirational message. You know, I preach heaven holy and hell hot. And, and looking back, it wasn't the most dynamic message to really do and, and with kids like that and such. But nonetheless, there was a beautiful young girl named Tia. Tia Blackman, I think was her name, her last name. And she raised her hand at the invitation. And, and so, uh, or no, she didn't raise her hand. I'm sorry, nobody raised her hand. But after it was over, we were back in the Family Life Center, a little fellowship hall. She came up to me and she said, Pastor, can I talk to you? She was 18 years old, beautiful, blonde-haired young girl, beautiful, blonde-haired young girl. She said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And she came in the office. She said, she said you, you know, I want, to, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to surrender my heart to Jesus. I, I want to know that eternal life, you know, because I preached a message about eternity and things. And so we prayed right there in my office. And, uh, and it was a great moment. And that was probably in May. About a month and a half later, Tia was in the backseat of a, a Camaro headed from Clinton to Conway with three other of her friends on a day that the, 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 the weather had turned a little bit sour and the driver of that Camaro drove it at 110 miles an hour till it topped a little place between Greenbrier and Conway in a hydroplane and crashed him into another car and all four were instantly killed. And Tia was lost in that backseat of that car. And their family was just totally distraught as your family would be as well. And, and, it's very, and I still have the, uh, some of the information in my desk today that their family sent to me but when I was able to share with the family about that time in the office that she had prayed, it was a great comfort and great solace to their family, as it should be. And as powerful as that is, though, the point I want to make as I close today, Tia had the world in front of her. Tia was planning to go to college. She had a future. Remember what James said. He said, I'm going to go into a city, buy and sell and get gain. But just like that, through no fault of her own, in a situation she could not control, life is taken just like that. Church family, life is fragile. Who's going to join me? Are you joining me, Aaron? Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. Life is fragile. Don't rush out of here. Give me a moment real quickly. Life is fragile, but life can still be fruitful. Does that make sense? It's fragile. It's fragile. It's easily broken. It can be lost. You've got to be aware, more acutely aware than perhaps ever before. There's so much around us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed, praying for